everyone, and welcome to the American Scouser Podcast. It's Monday, 7 p.m. Central. That's 8 Eastern for Bickler, and we are here live as always. I am your host, as always, Timuchin here in Chicago. And with us today is Gally, as always. Gally, what's happening? Not too much. Just showing up here, ready to talk, uh, ready to have some fun on a podcast one week here. It's about time the season kicks off. Well, I don't know about that because Bickler is also here. Bickler, how's it going? What's up with you? Are you ready to have Good. fun? Ready to, ready to talk about midfielders so Gally doesn't have fun. Fair. <laughs> I was going to say, where there's a party to be spoiled, bring on Bickler. Alan and BJ are with us live. And ah, speaking of BJ, we got some special things going on. If you guys are new to the podcast, Alan and BJ constantly supply us with trivia that these two guys just freaking love and adore and live for. So... Now we have, we used to only have one trivia for you guys, but now we have two trivias. <laughs> All the keeps getting better. So we we, I love how we doubled down on our worst segment on the show. <laughs> well, it's the worst segment for you, buddy. The fans have spoken and they love it. So we're, <laughs> we're going to be doing this every week, actually. BJ, who's the guy behind the numbers, uh, he was actually in this uh, weekend's pre and post match as well. Uh, he's going to be doing these videos for the fans about teasing them for the trivia that's coming up. And not to mention, check that out. Now we have our own Ooh. graphics for trivia. Bickler is never freaking impressed, but I was impressed. This is Tony's great work over here. So we'll start I'm with BJ's fan one first. And then I have another trivia for you guys because I told BJ that you guys would Google the shit and act like you know what you're talking about otherwise. So we start with 100%. that one and go from there. Hello, everyone. This is BJ, the old fart soccer nerd from AmericanScouser.com and the American Scouser YouTube channel. Here with another one of my fun trivia questions. So let's go. Of the 27 home Premier League matches played before this current season against Newcastle United, how many have Liverpool Football Club lost? How many have they lost? I'll give you a hint. Not very many. And the answer is... Drum roll, please. Available. By watching our Monday podcast, August 29th, 2022, which you can find at youtube.com forward slash American Scouser, along with a lot of other great content. When you go there, be sure to check it out and like, comment, and subscribe. Ah, see, this is good because I got BJ to do that. What a cliffhanger. It is a cliffhanger. And what is your answer there, buddy? Four. You can't even work Google, man. Gally, what do you have for your answer? How many uh, times? Notice the BJ made the question very clear, like he like emphasized and everything. Well, no, I mean, he's just good at doing it. I'm like, that. No, we're good. Good. What do you have, Gally? Yeah. Uh, uh, can I can I say not many? Because I'm pretty sure he gave the answer as <laughs> not many. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna say. Three. Ah, you guys are both wrong. He did mean it when he said not many, almost not any. Uh, they had only one win, actually, all this wow. time at the home games. So that wow. was that. I figured you guys would be all over that work on Google. But kudos to you guys. 
for not doing the research or the homework. Okay, so I had one. Thinking you guys would prepare for that one. I have one separate for you guys. So obviously we're going to talk about the Bournemouth game and how much fun that was. But the first time, this is the first time Liverpool scored five goals in the first 45 minutes since one. When was the last time? I think this was mentioned actually during the game as well. So this is a little reading comprehension for you guys or listening comprehension, I should say. When was the last time Liverpool scored five goals in the first half? Galley, we'll start with you because Bickler's already shaking his head. I have no idea. Five league yeah. goals in the first half? They I scored only... five goals in the first five minutes, 45 minutes of a league game. When was the last time? Yeah, I can only remember four. Yeah, I remember the 4-0 against Arsenal. Um, yep. And that was in 30 minutes. I remember the three against City. Five. Next up, I gotta introduce some like Jeopardy. I, I genuinely, I genuinely have no clue. I'll say eight seasons. Listen, you make the trivia sign essentially a bar sign. You get me and Galley on here and expect us to do well. It's like I don't understand. Like I just feel like you have to adjust <laughs> your expectations. Was that distracting for you? <laughs> Made you want to get a beer instead. <laughs> Okay, well, you guys are clueless. Okay, uh, the answer, and this one was from Alan, so I get to use everybody's trivia this way. Uh, last time was September 1958. Oh, Come yeah. Come on. How do you guys know those? Against Brighton. Honestly, the only way to know what it is, it, they did mention it during the broadcast, so it was going to be more one of those. So I was, I, was, I was having too much fun trying to figure out who the moron was in color commentary during that match. Yes. Then I was trying to figure out, you know, then listening to too That's much. That's not that fair because you like Timuchi was like in high school when that match happened. That's not oh, fair. Oh, I was expecting this lame burn. Kudos to you. Uh, okay, let's go to the game. Yeah, joke. And let's get some burns on our Bobby hating friend Galley over here. So, Bickler, I'll start with you so that you can talk about Bobby and make fun of Galley at the same time. Both oh, the boy. I would love to like say Galley was alone in this, but he was not. There are plenty of us. He like so Bobby. It's very well documented. Is my favorite Liverpool player of all time, uh, personally, and I could go on and on about how great I think he is. But I also had this very sinking feeling that the legs were gone, and so extremely glad to be proven wrong because he looked sharp from the get. He did all the Bobby things that only Bobby can do in terms of working the half spaces and the creativity and the flicks and tricks. And it was just good to see him. Like I said it in the discord channel during the match. Like I, I just like seeing him smiling and enjoying football is almost better than his score line. And then with nine Oh happened and that's pretty amazing. So maybe, maybe not better than nine Oh, but it was uh, good to see him back. I mean, dude, three assists and a goal in 31 minutes. is The first 31 minutes of the game is uh, pretty amazing. I mean, that was the thing. I think the thing I enjoy the most is I think this team is most fun to watch when Bobby is at his best, especially our attacking. I mean, it flows so much better. And that's why he's like a crucial piece to that. So we'll kind of like talk further. But what was, I mean, obviously Bobby is an easy choice probably. What impressed you the most aside from that galley? I know you want to just talk on and on about Bobby. You can't help yourself. I mean, I could I could gush all day long about Bobby and how much I believed him and no one else did. It was for me, he would have played every minute of every match going all the way back to last January. Um, 
yeah, no, that's not the case. But I do love the player too. Actually, the first jersey I ever actually purchased um, that had a name on the back was a Bobby Firmino number oh, eleven jersey. It was it's my, favorite, pedal. <laughs> my, favorite, my favorite number, my favorite player at the time. I had so much fun. But the truth of the matter is, it started to look tough for him, and I thought that his touch was letting him go. I thought that some of his speed and his quickness was happening, and I thought that the way that we were actually tactically setting up wasn't feeding to his greatest strengths. And I still think that we're going to see that at times in certain matchups and certain formations, but there's no questioning how great he was on Saturday. That said, I'd argue as impressive as he was, Luis Diaz was just as impressive on the left-hand side. Everything he does from his work rate to his energy, to his industry, um, he'll take on any defender at any time. I joked, I think it was the post-match when I talked about how sometimes he conv- he confuses himself with his own tricks and he like, he like trip over his own feet and he goes down and you think like he might be trying to buy a penalty. And the next thing you know, he's back up on his feet and he has the ball and he's still in control of it. And the defender can't get on it because I genuinely think he puts defenders at such unease with his quickness and his sheer confidence in what he's planning to do next. I'm not sure if that's just craziness because he doesn't know what he's about to do next. And therefore it makes it harder for the defender to anticipate or if it is purely that the confidence that he's showing now that he fully understands his role kind of fully has owned that left-hand side of the pitch as his own at, at Liverpool. And I think as he starts to get better relationships with his fullback and his midfielder, which I hope to happen soon, I think we're going to see an even more attack-minded Luis Diaz. And he just pops up all over the pitch because it looks like he has free reign to go anywhere with within you know his areas of the tactical formation. And he's not afraid to pop up all the way on the right. Then he's in the middle. Then he's all the way on the left touchline. And I just think he adds so much to the attack. And I think you see it when he's clicking the other members of the front three look a lot better and are more dangerous. And I think in a lot of ways, this might've been his best match of the season. And I think it shows when our center forward had their best match of the season too. See how we gave the credit to Diaz, took it away from Bobby. You catch that? Anyway, back to Bobby. (laughs) (laughs) I I will say this. I will say this about Diaz since January of last year, the best player. Can you remember a game, a single game where he wasn't our best player? No, that's what's crazy. That's what's crazy when you think about it. We talk about all the players that underperform, right? Moe's not been his best. Van Dyke's is shadow of himself. The midfield has gone down. Fabinho's not the same. Robertson looks tired. Trent can't defend. Yada, yada, yada. In that time, I can't remember a single fucking match where Luis Diaz hasn't been our best guy. Because I think his work rate and his energy, even when he's not having the best game, the number of balls he wins, his tracking back and stuff like that, gets at least our eye. One thing I did want to get to, though, is, and we'll get back to that in terms of like his movements and stuff like that, because he is seems to be all over the place. But I think one thing impressive about the goals this weekend was the fact that they were headers. 
and we did not see a whole lot of that before in his arsenal, especially the first goal. Mm. I was talking about it this uh, morning. By the way, if you're a morning person, uh, just join them, join me and whoever I have sitting with me or my cup of coffee at least every morning at 8 a.m. Central where we kind of go through the headlines. Or if you just wake up and you're trying to go back to sleep, you can just put me on and I'll probably put you back to sleep, whichever way it works. Uh, but I think one thing that was impressive was like the fact that they were headers. And that first one is a striker header. It's not just like a redirecting one. He's putting all the, like, the force behind that. And I think that was nice to see. But one thing I want to get, because we were talking about this with Galley, I believe it was in the post-match Galley, uh, in terms of his clicking with... Uh, Costas versus Robertson. Does the fact that he is sometimes all over the place, do you guys think that kind of negatively affects how he works with Robertson and we don't see that chemistry yet? Is that by design? Or I almost feel like sometimes he kind of a little loses himself. Like he'll start dribbling, not knowing where the heck he's going to go. And before you know it, he's like on the other side of the field and then he stays there. Is that by design, do you think, Bickler? Or is that pretty much part of his style where we had that with Mane, right? He was predictable in terms of which way he was going to go. Mm -hmm. It was going to go to the line or it was going to cut in. With Diaz, it's more unpredictable. Where You don't know where the hell he's going to go like when he gets the ball. Uh, yeah, I don't think that's by design. I think that's how he plays. I think that's how he beats people is based on reading a player versus a predetermined set of skills that he knows he's going to, you know, flash. I think he very much is uh, determines that based on who he's up against. And, and I think that makes him a little bit unpredictable. I think also... I think he's going to have that that issue with no matter who's back there, whether it's Robertson or Costas. I don't think it matters. I think what's my concern about that with him is with Darwin because Darwin occupies the half space on the left channel a lot, a lot. Um, the thing that we do have going for us is that he is a naturally wide winger who likes right. to play from wide positions versus Sadio, who is very much an introverted winger who thought he was a striker. Um, Mo too. Um, and so I think that's played differently. I think it's interesting because I think you're seeing Mo wider this season. I think that they've seen what that opens up in terms of the midfield and that inside underlap that Robertson can provide. We saw that with Trent when Mo started doing it. Like that's where Trent's finding that space in the middle where people are like, is he playing center mid? No, Mo is super wide and he's cutting in through the half channel on the inside now. And that we first learned that when we when Diaz came in, and it was quite mm -hmm. on accident, I think. Um, so I, I that's my worry about Darwin, though, is like how is that gonna how is that gonna look just because of the positions that Darwin likes to take up where he does drift wide and it's usually left. And aside from that, obviously Bobby's performance today kind of changes a lot of things or does it galley i mean maybe not for galley because he's not a big bobby fan but overall like does it change things obviously you have this guy on the bench does it just buy nunez more time and less pressure so he can continue to come off the bench perhaps or do we have to find a way to have them both out there like the formation change we're talking about which does not seem club like long term we have to find the way to have them both out there in my opinion if we want both to be playing a lot of minutes because um, it took one match and a half and Darwin was basically the starter. It took one match and Darwin was the starter because Bobby wasn't fit for match week two. And then Darwin goes out 
and get sent off. And I want to be really honest here. If Darwin doesn't get sent off against Palace, I believe he starts against United and Bournemouth. So I don't know if we would have even seen the Renaissance Bobby performance we got against Bournemouth had Darwin been able to start the United match. Because I think at that point, he, if you jump into there at that point, I think with the output you were getting, I think he would have continued to get starts. And I think he's going to continue to get starts. What for me was so intriguing about Bobby's performances is he did it from minute one, which is something we haven't seen in a long time. It's taken him a while to get going, which is, I think, exciting for me because I think Bobby Firmino offers an awful lot for you from the bench. That he gives you the ability to change a match. He gives you the ability to change the way that you're playing. And he can really, if you wanted him to, he could substitute for two or three different players if you needed him to be. And if we saw anything right now with our injuries and our ranks right now, is we don't have enough players on this side unless everyone is fit to have match changers from the bench. Because we basically had Carvalho and Milner as senior players to come off the bench in the last match. And thank goodness we weren't playing Bournemouth. Because if that was a tight match, I don't know how we would have changed anything in that match. So I think Bobby offers a lot, some from the start and, a, and he's going to offer a lot from the bench as well. And this is all before we get Jota back, hopefully the end of September as well. So here's my thing. I actually feel the opposite. I feel like Nunez would be a better person to come off the bench because if we're struggling to score and you know, the, the opposing team is packing it in more and more and more that opens up less and less and space for, Bobby, whereas I think Darwin gives something different that we can use. Uh, but going back to what you were talking about with Bournemouth, do we take a lot of credit for what's going on? Like the, the from the minutes one, Bobby's performance, goals coming galore, or how much of the credit should go to Bournemouth, who just came out like it was like preseason and like had the audacity to kind of keep pressing and thinking they could keep up with that press which obviously opens up a lot of space for Bobby that he thrives in, not to mention you had Elliot who kind of likes that space as well. Yeah, yeah, I think it's probably a little bit of both. I mean, I think Bournemouth is one of the last teams I can remember coming up from the championship and actually getting worse in the transfer window. Um, I think they have the potential of being historically bad this year. Um, mm -hmm. I think uh, – I will say this about the game. We that is the first game that I've seen probably since like March-ish of last year where we came out and didn't worry about we didn't we didn't sit and look at how a team was set up. We came out and played our football, like the way that we play football. We didn't wait to see how a team was going to stack up and play. We didn't wait and see if if they were going to press. We didn't wait and see if they were going to stack the box. We went out and played our football and worried about our identity uh, on the first whistle. And so that's the first match where we've been off the front foot. And then what happens? Like a couple minutes in, we have the most like therapeutic goal we could have asked for. We've got a resurgent Bobby Firmino, who everybody thought was left for dead, clipping in a ball into a guy that everybody says is dangerous but can't score with a header that had the anger of a thousand rising suns. Like I could feel like when he hit that, like you could see and you could feel that, that release. It was, it was pretty incredible. And like Timuchin said a minute ago, it was a fantastic header too. Um, 
And then, you know, you got Elliot. Well, we don't score goals from deep midfield from outside the box. And he sends in a laser on a, a really rough week where he's been pretty grief stricken with his passing of his grandmother. So it was like, ah, it was just a lot of, a lot of uh, therapy and it was substantially cheaper than I pay for mine watching it on TV. But you give a lot of references. So she's pretty good. Well worth the money. She's the best. She's awesome. Uh, yeah, I mean, just Bickler making it to the podcast alone is a huge, <laughs> huge whatever I pay her, whatever I pay her is probably not enough. Like, let's be honest. Yeah, Bickler is a resume builder for any <laughs> therapist out there, probably. So <laughs> it's so, true. So going back to the game, I I mean, to me, that was the most impressive thing that I saw that I like seeing because it was more like the team we know. In terms of like, like what you're saying, Bickler, like starting right from the beginning, going full speed. The early goals definitely help that. But is this does that help that galley, the team that you know they know that if they come out full force, this is how it should be? Like getting that feeling back, or are they going to be kind of like uh, surprised when they go to Newcastle and it is not as easy? How does that play out going into Wednesday? I mean, if you're asking me, is there any negative that comes out of a 9-0 win? The answer is no. It has to be a positive. This is, they, they came out firing. They had a tactical awareness that they were going to try to exploit them in specific ways, and it worked. Um, the, the two goals inside six minutes is pretty hard to argue as, you know, a positive way to start. Um Trent scoring a worldie only can help his confidence. Virgil literally just had the first week of his entire Liverpool career where he was actually questioned for his form, his commitment, and like basically if he was falling off and losing a step. Granted, he didn't have to defend much, but he looked like he had the back line organized when they needed to be. And then the first opportunity, Kenny buries an absolute bomb of a header on a corner. You know, I, I feel like it was the perfect scenario you get trent involved you get elliot involved you get bobby really involved like on all things good which brings his confidence levels up and shuts up idiots like me questioning whether or not he's you know a step past and whether or not we need to be changing formations to find more opportunities and then as the match goes on we haven't even gotten to the fact that you know at halftime they bring in carvalho and he pops one into the net You know, I know you want to talk as a defender about how terrible the own goal was and how this match should have ended 8-0 because that guy was offsides and therefore that goal yeah. should have been ruled off. I completely disagree with you, but that's for a different conversation or one we'll have in five minutes. But oh, we will have it in five minutes. <laughs> I know we're going to have it. Oh, we know you're going to get you're going to get two strikers telling you we don't understand why the guy should be offsides. Then you're going to get the defender telling you he has to be offsides because he was offsides. Except for the defender doesn't know he's offsides, so he has to defend it. And then when he throws his leg at it, it immediately isn't offsides. I, I understand where you're coming from, but by the letter of the law, and I think that's what your real issue is is yeah. is with yeah. the rule, not with what the call was, because the call on the field was accurate and correct. But all of this just creates, for me, the muscle memory that brings these guys back to the fact that they are badass and that on their day they can just run roughshod over anybody in this league. Because if they played like they did against Bournemouth, they're not hitting nine against City, but they're scoring goals if they're playing that fluent and that good of football. 
they're scoring against any of the other low block, terrible defending teams. You know, that that would have got a goal or two against shitty ass Burnley, even if Sean Dish was the coach. Good old Sean Dish. Where is he at these days? I'm pretty sure he's just somewhere acting hard and telling people he's woke and living. <laughs> he's like a bouncer at the local pub, probably. Uh, so, <laughs> Bigler, let's get to you because I'm glad he brought that up because I got a lot of flack from these freaking forwards on the post-match. But now you're another freaking forward. Uh, do you agree with me that any decent defender knows that the attacker is right behind him? That's why he's lunging. And Galley is right. I mean, by the rule... You know, yes, it is. It's it's the correct call for them to overturn it. I'm just not agreeing with the law where he's not lunging like that if there isn't an attacker behind him. I guess this was all nice and dandy. We got the goal. We were like, whatever. That was what six, right? It was a six one, I think, beginning of the second half, right? First goal we got in. Mm-hmm. But yep. I would be quite upset if that's a goal that I don't know, freaking like City or somebody has against us. I mean, I can see why you really hate baseball because this is one of those rules that's a little bit like a thousand other rules in baseball that don't make a whole lot of sense and aren't very practical, but are still in in play. Like, like the uh, sacrifice fly rule, like I, I, the infield fly rule. Like, I mean, it just makes some of that shit. Like, and and that's basically this is that version. This is the infield fly rule for strikers, essentially. Like, um, it, it's like, and I feel the same way that I feel about. Uh, I mean it. Like the way that I feel about the play is probably the same way that I feel about uh like all of fantasy EPL. Like it's I understand the rule, I just don't get it, and it doesn't seem to make sense uh, to me in terms of why that's applied that way. But yeah, it was the correct call. I'm glad you brought fantasy up because we'll probably talk a little bit about that. Actually, if you are regularly watching our channel, uh, you know that Galley is the fantasy guru, and they do a show with Matush every week on the fantasy. Apparently, Bickler is not listening or paying attention based on the scores we're seeing. But nope. that's a whole different story. We'll get to fantasy. We'll get to fantasy. Uh, so I agree with you, Galley, in terms of like knowing that, you know, hey, if we go full force, this is us. We're back to ourselves are we back to ourselves i'm afraid to ask bickler but after that win do you say we're back baby or are you still thinking well thanks to bournemouth we were kind of back where are you at i i'd probably say it's like an it's an 80 percent we're back and the reason i say it's 80 percent, no i'm serious the reason i say it's 80 percent is, is it's like it's literally like that grown-ass man who comes outside whoops his 12 year old and pick up basketball and is like i'm still badass like look at me i can beat up on a 12 year old when the truth is we beat up on a championship side nine nothing i'd like to see us go out there on wednesday to a slightly depleted but much improved newcastle side and i'd like to see us wisp them across the pitch as well and i'm not by any means saying I think that we win six, seven, eight nil. We could take a two nothing good clean sheet with quality goals against Newcastle. And I think that's a very good win. And uh, just so we're clear to Alan, this isn't wine. This is a blackberry sour, but it is outstanding. It looks like wine and it's in a wine glass because, well, I like it to look like I'm, you know, drinking an invisible glass here on the screen. 
But uh, I'm always glad that Alan is so focused on what we're all doing in our homes and in our places and how we are and how we're operating. So Alan, you really missed out, Alan, attention. a little bit ago. Really yeah, you your attention to the detail. Greatest comedy as we were recording the Premier League show. But uh, yeah, I mean, the, the main thing is how many has he had? Because we've been on air for a little bit now recording. But Bickler, I'm Too afraid many. to ask you because you're Mr. Grumpy. Are we back or is this just uh, kind of like a Bournemouth's gift as a morale booster? Um, I want to look at like the extremes of the situation and say it's in the middle, right? I mean, yep. going into this match, we were like, we're top one and two in XG and chances created, right? The table doesn't say that. Bottom line doesn't say that. Our points don't say that. This match, we strike nine in. And if I'm perfectly honest... I think seven of those go in against anybody in the league. I yeah. think like if you look at Luis Diaz, Heather, Elliot Strike, Trent Strike, those those yeah. go in versus anybody, versus anybody, and Virgil. none of those were falling for us in any of the other matches. And I don't, th I think we had the opportunities on a lot of those matches. We had opportunities, they just weren't finding the sweet spot. So how much of that is luck? How much of that is who we are? I mean, I think that's football, right? It's kind of like a batting average in baseball since we were doing baseball on the show now with Tamuchin. Like, I think that you're going to like – I think that there is an, a law of averages that we're going to hit. I think the midfield is still a huge issue. I think it's going to continue to be an issue. Um, and I'm not going to go into that <laughs> because I feel like I've been talking we're about it for months. a little bit here. Hang in no. <laughs> You know, I'm Hang really getting there. an appreciation for like all these ESPN guys that do multiple shows through a day. We don't, I only do two with you guys, and I feel like we talk about the same thing for like five months. I don't know how those guys do it. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think that's still going to continue to be an issue that we'll obviously get into on this show in a few minutes. Well, let's get to it. <laughs> <laughs> let's get to it. Uh, no, actually, let's uh, stick with the Newcastle game first. And I kind of want to, yep. like, as we look ahead for the rest of the week, obviously there's a few days left over here. So if it happens, it's going to happen pretty soon. Uh, you were kind of talking about it earlier, uh, like the Bruno Gamares, uh, Callum Wilson is out. Uh, more importantly, uh, the Saints might be out because uh, he did come out at the end of the game after he yeah. scored that goal on the side. And it might be like a hamstring issue. You would think this is not a game they would risk him in because obviously losing him for an extended period when it's a hamstring issue is not really worth the risk in a three-day, like four-day rest or whatever it's going to be for them. And they had actually less rest time, right? Because they just play Sunday. Um, what do you expect to see, I guess, from our lineup? I know you are Mr. Rotation. Uh, do we just try out the same 9-0 squad that did what they did? Or do you want to see some movements not that there are a lot of options which is why we're going to get to the next topic next i mean i think that's the tricky thing i don't i don't know how many options there are and that's the problem right i mean maybe this is a spot Carvalho gets to start but it would have made more sense for him to start versus bournemouth so like i don't feel confidence that he'll get the minutes there um uh, i mean elliot's young enough he could probably i mean he can do it um you're gonna figure they both each play the half so yeah yeah, I just – I don't know, man. I, I really don't know how this is going to go. Like, I don't think they've got – I wouldn't think there'd be too much rotation because how much rotation can there be? I mean, like, well, Matip's coming in, right? So you're going to start him cold versus a pretty decent Newcastle side? Like, you know what I mean? Like, uh, Ramsey's never played – never started yet. You're not going to throw him in the right side. Um, I just – Jones, I don't love that. 
that's for sure. Like, you know, coming in, like, so I don't know how much, I don't know how much rotation there actually really can be period. I mean, I personally want to stay with the starting 11 and going back to what Gal was talking about earlier. I mean, maybe some of these guys coming back will make the bench a bit more respectable. At least you'll have some senior players yeah. there and not just like kids playing with their toys. <laughs> I mean, it was definitely good to get those guys out there as well. I mean, this was like an ideal. It turned out to be an ideal game to have some of those younger guys on the bench and get them some minutes and debuts and stuff mm -hmm. like that. But uh, how about you, Gally? Like, what do you want to see and what do you expect to see? Because I'm sure expect... it goes the same. I, no, they won't be the same. I I expect there to be a little bit of rotation because I think you I think when you pay seventy two hours after a match, it's smart to make some rotation when you're going to be playing midweek matches for the next six weeks and you have a depleted side. So, you know, do I think Simicash should probably start in this match? I do because you have him and you trust him enough to let him end matches when it's one one or nil nil, like close matches. Then you trust him to start from the start from the rip. And from what I heard today is that St. Maximin's been ruled out. So if that's the case, they're down their top four players in Wilson, St. Maximum, and Gamerish. So for me, you, you can afford to start Simicass at left back. I do agree with Paul. I'm not going to start Matip. I think you have to allow Gomez to get a third run out there in a row. He's earned it. He played well. I thought against Bournemouth, not that they were asked to do much. I thought he played better than Van Dyke against in the against United. So, you know, I feel like he's done nothing to lose his side or his place in the side. As far as the midfield goes, I'd like to see Carvalho given a match. I'm going to say something you're not going to like, guys. There's a reason the old man Milner didn't get off the bench in the nine nothing win. I think he starts for Henderson tomorrow. No, I think he's the captain. No. He's the captain. He's the captain in the side on Wednesday oh. in that midfield. <laughs> Get the fan you. off the air. Oh. <laughs> hey, it's one of two things. Do you guys do you guys believe Klopp benched him? Do you guys think Klopp benched him because he yelled at Virgil? Do you believe that bullshit rhetoric that's going out there? That, <laughs> no. Right? 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 That's you don't, one. right? No one believes that. He sat because they were up 5 nothing at halftime and there was no reason to play those old bones. But right now, he's our fourth midfielder. He, he is ahead of Carvalho in the which three start in these four spots. He's number four. And I think, you know. He's got to be the saddest 9-0 pod ever. It's the truth. I'm I'm just telling you. I, I would What a downer gal he is. I know. No, that's I, why I'm sad. It's true. I'm being realistic though. I, I genuinely think there is a good chance he starts over Henderson. You know, Henderson's had injuries. He's had issues already. He missed another day of training this week. So there's a chance that he's still carrying something from two weeks ago. And if we've learned anything with Henderson, you need him fit. You don't need him playing every minute but you can't have him hurting on the sidelines because I think he's important in training. I think he's important on match days that he's on the sidelines. I think it's important that he's sitting on the subs bench sometimes. And I think that keeping Henderson fit and playing at his highest level is really, really important. And there's no way in my mind you sit fab after he played his best match of the year against Bournemouth, even though he didn't ask to do much. So if you're asking me between the three midfielders who started last week, which one is most likely not to start this match? It's probably Jordan Henderson, and it's sure as hell not going to be so Carvalho and Elliott can play in a three-man midfield yeah. together. 
I think, you know, to Galley's credits and our scare, because uh, I'd rather see Henderson out there, at least in the beginning of the game, is he did do the coming the last 20 minutes so you can start the next game thing with Milner by putting him in the last 20, and then Henderson only got 20 minutes of rest. I would have loved to see actually like the whole 45. We were up 5-0. Uh, would have liked to see that at halftime. Uh, as you know, get him some rest because he is crucial and you do need him out there. I think, especially this game, but then obviously you have a short turnaround again, uh, come back Saturday. And guess what, kids? It's an early morning game. So obviously, we're struggling to find midfielders to put in there, and there's a few days left. Klopp said he was wrong, Bickler, and you were right. He flat out said Bickler was right. right in the press conference, yep. called you up by name. And what do you say? Do you see anything happening? Because he did say it still has to be the right player. Or like, oh, do yeah. we get somebody significant? Okay, do we get anybody? If we get anybody, is it significant? Or is it like a ghost hologram like Van Davies? Or I don't you know. Nothing? I genuinely don't know. Because I'll say this. I think one of two things. Either we're getting absolutely nobody. Or we've got somebody already. Before he even said it. And it's already done. And I think it's those are the only two scenarios. So I genuinely and I genuinely don't know which one it is. Um, but yes, thank you, Jurgen. Thank you for coming out and saying something that we all already knew and that we've all been talking about and that I've been yelling at you about for almost a year and a half now. Um, but yeah, I I think I the just greatest think- part of that was the fact that all these people who were just you know, behind the team and club and blaming FSG for it. I don't know if they now realize, I highly doubt most of them did, that Klopp was the guy who was, you know, hung on one name and nobody else that I think, was not needed. I think there's a, I think there's a, like a knowledge gap to some extent with some supporters. And I think, I also think that like, I mean, if we just look at the facts, right. And, and use the common sense. We, we know, regardless of what anybody says about, oh, we don't have an official firm bid, we know that Jurgen Klopp flew to Monaco. We know that every reliable journal in football who's close to situations all agrees that we were there and we were one of two people at the table with him. The player came out and said that he had agreed to terms with us. So we put all that information, and let's just go out on a limb and assume that that's true because it makes sense. Like, if that happened, and that's $80 million, do you think FSG turned around and was like, nope, it's only for that player. Can't spend it on anybody else. Sorry, you got to wait. That doesn't, that's not common sense. So then we have to deduct that that 80 million was for the squad to be reinvested into the squad because it came independent separately and after the Darwin deal was essentially finalized. So we can assume that that's 180 million in a window for a manager to spend and we haven't spent it. I do not know how we get to the point where we blame that on ownership and not on Jurgen Klopp. And what we know of Jurgen from historical standpoint is that he's always preferred to work with smaller squads all the way up through Germany, all the way up through Dortmund. And we know that he has always kept pass clear for younger players. And he's been criticized for being overly loyal to young players. Now, all those things we have fit with what we wanted kind of as we were growing as a club, right? Out of the mid-table years, reinvesting, getting younger, developing players. There comes a point in time where those things don't really work for a squad trying to achieve a certain degree of success and getting to a certain point. Now, I'm not saying that Jurgen Klopp is not a legend. I'm not saying he's not going to continue to succeed here. 
But the fact is that he prefers to work with the smaller squad and that he does have trouble like going out and making additions sometimes. And it's been a, a criticism for a while. And so it's not like you factor that into the fact that of the too many money in the bid, it's pretty clear why the transfers haven't happened. And it doesn't have to do with the ownership. It has to do with the fact that Jurgen Klopp said, I want this guy or this guy. And if I can't have this guy or this guy, this squad's good enough and I'll work with what I have. Thank you very much. I think partially, I mean, you're probably partially right where it's like a, you know, gap in info. Uh, but I feel like a big part of it is, first of all, when it comes to money being spent, we all assume who's going to say no, right? You know, like if I say you want $100 million to spend on players, who's going to say no? Um, and the second part is, and I think that's, especially in our scenario with FSG, the part is people are always looking to blame FSG for something who were against FSG all this time, but did not have the platform or the situation to be able to complain because obviously the team was successful. This was kind of like, see, this is FSG stopping Klopp and stuff like that, Galley. And now when Klopp comes out and says this, people are still in denial that it's from Klopp and it's all about coming from FSG. Well, that's because they feel that Jurgen Klopp is basically like a saint. He can do no long, wrong. He's infallible. You can't question him. You question his tactics, you're wrong. You know, you mentioned something like, you know, the way he basically berates officials or gets on top of people, and it's like, well, that's just his personality. What, what's wrong with you? Why would you? Jurgen has all the answers. If Jurgen says so, it has to be. It doesn't have to be. The man is amazing. He's the greatest manager in my lifetime of this club. He's the greatest manager right now, in my opinion, in the Premier League because I think he actually does more with the talent in which he is given than any other manager does. And that was seen by, you know, three finals, two trophies, and 15 minutes away from picking up what might have been the most impressive of all of the trophies he's won would have been winning the Premier League title last year. Yeah. Because City had the thing dusted in March. It was done. But he kept those guys playing to win every single match down yeah. the stretch. And they weren't playing well by the by any stretch. As Paul said, they hadn't played a complete football match since March. Honestly. And that all of those things, right, when they're thrown into the equation, he gets zero blame for anything we ever do that doesn't go well. Jurgen sets us up poorly. Not Jurgen's fault. Players' fault. Guys don't show up and play well at United. Can't be anything to do with Jurgen. Like it, it's he 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 just has this carte blanche. And I understand it wasn't that good before he was here, and we'll probably maybe never see it this good after he leaves. But when he's gone, I hope people can look back and look at the whole thing and see all the highs, but also realize there were some lows. And there were things he did from the way he talked to the to the way he answered questions that at times, if it was any other manager at any other club, we would be poking fun and getting frustrated. And, you know, we poke fun and make calls that, you know, Pep is a checkbook manager, right? But when we spend big, we're not like, oh, Jurgen went and got a $90 million midfielder that he wanted because it's like he wanted that guy. So it had to be they had to go do it. And I just feel like he is in a perfect situation with a club, with supporters, and with ownership that he aligns with. 
And every once in a while, it would be okay for our supporters to recognize when they don't like a decision the club makes to not decide whether it's something to either defend Jurgen about or blame ownership about. Because there's got to be a middle ground there because they do all of these things together. And I just feel like it's a classic example. He gets all the credit when everything's going great. It's all about Jurgen. And then when things aren't good or we don't sign a player or it's not going the way we want, he has to come out and make a flippant comment like he did this week, like, you were all right and I was wrong, which is another way to say, like, I went back and told them they should go sign a player even if it's not one of the two I want. Now the question is, did I leave them enough time to go find that player? If we don't get a midfielder, it's on Jurgen Klopp, not FSG. It should be, yes. I mean, especially after he admitted it. But, I mean, I think we have plenty of time. The problem is, I think it has put the club in a worse situation because now everybody knows. Whereas if it was just a matter of kind of like, you know, feeling it out and see if it's just, if it's the right price, we might go for it. Now he's basically pretty much said, I know he finished it with it has to be the right player. But obviously, if we're going after a player... The club knows. I mean, kind of like what Ajax is doing to United now. They're like, you guys want Anthony? It will be even more expensive now because, like, every day the price is going up because they can sense the desperation. I feel like it has kind of, like, put us in a tricky spot in that sense. We might end up paying, overpaying for somebody that maybe we would have gotten before. But, uh, Galley, gut feeling, do we sign somebody significant? Do we sign a hologram or do we sign nobody? We sign a player. I, I I hope it's like a Larimer from Leipzig. I think that would actually be an improvement. He was a player that was on the radar and I think fits the profile of the player we need. Um, I'm, I'm all about getting Ruben Neves from Wolves. I don't know if that's possible this late in the window. If it was, I think he'd be a perfect fit because he's he adds something to our midfield even after the rest of the players get healthy. But... And I'd rather an EPL-ready player. Uh, but I would take Laramir. I would take Nevis. I won't lie to you. I don't feel great, though, that it's going to happen and that it'll be either one of those two players. I do think we get a body in because Klopp said we're going to get a body in. I just don't feel great that it's going to be a player that actually moves the needle. More than anything, we need our players to get back to fitness and stay fit. Which is starting to happen. That's why when I saw all those guys in practice today, like Matzip Jones and stuff, I was like, well, we're not signing anybody now. Uh, but I still feel like something is going to happen. Uh, we've kind of like, you know, uh, Alan says, will anyone leave? Uh, I know Sepp just left on loan, correct? Um, mm -hmm. But I don't know. I mean, I can't think of anybody. I mean, if you're asking for, I mean, Keita perhaps, if that's going to be some kind of a trade deal. Uh, but I doubt it, and obviously Ox or anybody like that will not be uh, going to that. Um, so let's do this real quick before I get some predictions and touch up on fantasy because Bickler keeps smiling over there, so it's a good time to put an end to that. Uh, I would say, do you know where you rank, Bickler? Because we're almost at the end of the podcast. We might not have enough. Yeah, time I'm towards the bottom. I'm, like in the one, I'm in the 180s or something like that. It's pretty oh, bad. Okay. Well, I'm not going to scroll down all the way down. I'm telling I'm you, though, that, that team that I put out this week, that is the lowest that team will ever score together on one sheet, even if two of them are injured. <laughs> okay. Dad is laughing because he knows it's right. He's not wrong. This is actually a pretty good team. Uh, 
Hey, you finished with 50 points at the end. That I mean, that team scoring 41 is hilarious. Like, it's so bad, it's hilarious. Because that team, I feel like, could accidentally score 41. I am I have no shame in what that side that I fielded this week. None. Well, you should tune into the fantasy show and see what you can get in terms of, like, tips and bits from Galley and Mateusz. Otherwise, in our contributor league, uh, I'm proud to say I'm, like, 3-1, and one, people. Are you guys impressed? Uh, Mateusz, the expert, is 4-0. And Galley is the only guy who managed to get a tie with VJ over there. One in one in two. Bickler, where are you at on this thing? God. Well, I mean, if I'm 180th in the league of 200 people, I'm sure I'm not very far up on that. But I know, listen, but I wanted to bring it up again so that we can kind of like emphasize. I don't, you know, I don't, I don't like play my spouses in these things and then brag about it though, you know. Oh, good you point. Know what? That's cold. That's cold. Uh, Angie's team, and that's why it's named Why Not. <laughs> why the hell not is not doing so well. Sure, Why Not was the team. And yes, I'm glad I matched up with her. This Actually, to be honest, I would have beaten almost anybody except maybe three oh, four listen to this guy me. this guy i'm so over this That's situation like, the i would have beaten anyone except for those three people it's pretty Good much Lord. it's pretty much like me being like i know i'm one one and two the amount of like smug coming off this guy tonight yeah. is just I am, unreal. i feel like when you the, I, we talked about this before like when you ride high, this is gonna come crashing down pretty soon i know it so while things are good i'm just gonna <laughs> gloat and stuff and then i'll go back to my bitching about fantasy when shit hits the fan uh Good so point. wednesday here comes the game against newcastle i'm hoping we continue the series i'm expecting like a 3-1 win bickler what do you see happening on wednesday uh i think we will win 3-1 and Elmeron will score and act like he won the world cup like he does on every goal he scores <laughs> i do like him though works hard I'm just saying, it's funny how he's he does work hard. That dude is like yep. everywhere. Sometimes he, he almost looks like he loses himself as he's working hard. But you know, yeah. dude can put in a shift. That's for sure. I'm definitely yep. like a good player to have. Um, how about you, Galley? What do you see happening? I, I'm going to actually say the uh, good times keep rolling at Liverpool, and they hold a second consecutive clean sheet. I think that team struggles when Chris Woods through the middle. Maybe the new striker will be ready, but I think the new striker playing without St. Maximum on one wing, you know, there's a big drop off to Ryan Fraser people um, and Jacob Murphy. So I, I personally think in this matchup, we have too much, too much strength. We get another clean sheet and we win it three nil. Ah, that's the same prediction that Allen has. Yeah, I feel like we're going to continue. And that's why I think I kind of want the same 11 to kind of like continue to build this momentum as we have to the Derby on Saturday. Uh, early prediction, because obviously we're not going to get to that. And I'm sure it hinges a little bit more. I know these Derby games kind of like change everything. You can throw the records out the window, kind of a deal, Galley. Uh, what do you see happening on Saturday? Because obviously when we come together again on the next Monday's podcast, the boys are going to be back on the Thursday podcast, by the way. A whole new trio of Mecca, David, and good old Irish Jamie is going to be on on Thursday. So they'll be able to talk about the Newcastle game. But I won't see you both also next Monday's podcast. And there will be two games by then. What do you see happening on Saturday if you had an early prediction right now, Gally? Uh, Steal a line from Rocky Three, Pain. That's what I'd say. Like, what's the prediction? Pain. That's really? it. I think they drub them. 
I think Everton has no idea what they're you can you say when you put these two magic teams together throughout the records out the window, there's the difference. They used to have a player in Richarlison, which we spent some time on during the EPL show, who could get under Liverpool's skin, who might be able to make a world class moment or score a big goal and, and drive them forward. I don't believe that that Everton side has anywhere anywhere close to enough talent in it to actually put a glove on us. And I think we come out at Goodison, shut them up early, and, and honestly score early like we did against Bournemouth, and it could be a long, long, long day for Fat Frank. In all honesty, it might be Fat Frank's last day. Ah, oh, dudes, that would be that would be a dream. That would be a dream come true for me. Bickler, what do you have for Saturday? Yeah, I, the Everton's almost so bad. It takes the joy out of beating them almost. Yep. But I would say one thing that makes it better is Anthony Gordon's fast ascension from humble kid to prima donna in like what feels like four months. So watching that ascension and his attitude um, will be kind of fun to see the air go out of that. So I'm hoping a big win. Uh, I'll go 4 0. Damn, you know? man, you guys are I, like I say, I'm never being over optimistic again because that really backfired and hit, bit me in the ass. Uh, so but I'm going with actually like a 3 0 win on that one. Uh, I just don't see them. I mean, Gordon Allen says, Will Gordon play if he is? He'll be diving left and right. I mean, in some ways, he's the only weapon they have, and I know he's rumored with Chelsea and stuff like that. I highly doubt Everton sells them i think they got Some... the money they needed from richarlison but they are offering i mean i saw an offer we were talking about in the morning show this morning and by the way if you're up early in the mornings join me but we were talking about um there was an offer that said it was gallagher broha and 25 million for gordon if that was the case fat frank himself will run over there and sign the paperwork. But I highly doubt. I mean, I don't know what Chelsea would see in Gordon to give up that much for him. It would they turned down deal. They turned down 55 million guaranteed. Everton. Chelsea offered 55 million guaranteed up front. And Chelsea but turned it down. Don't you think Gallagher is worth just as much? I don't. I, I honestly think Gallagher's level is probably maybe maybe to Everton he is. It's not to Chelsea. I think Gallagher's proving he his level might be being the best player at Palace. Because I think he's a front-foot attack-minded player. I don't think he's ever going to play in a big side. I know everyone was excited because there were these stupid rumors that they might loan him to us, right? Because, like, we could get Gallagher on loan. That was the dumbest thing I'd ever heard. They sent <laughs> Victor Moses to us, people, because we were no one. We had no chance, and they didn't want the player. They were like, here, have our garbage. Like, we don't want this. Have Victor Moses. A year what later, I mean, the fucker was that not say the same thing about Gordon in terms of being the best player in a shit team uh, he's he's 22 years old and has an upside to him the kid's got talent he just really needs leadership and he needs adults in the room and right now he's the best player at a shit club and it happens <laughs> and it happens to be his boyhood club which i think is like probably like the worst case scenario you could possibly have is he is literally the best player on his in his entire club right now they're afraid to sell a kid who's done nothing but get – he's got as many yellow cards for diving as he has Premier League goals. And they're getting offered $60 million and they're right. afraid to pull the trigger because 
if they do that, Solomon Rondon will be their best attacking player. Like, guys, like... The Venezuelan Thunder. I mean, it's it's not just the Thunder. I mean, he's the entire circumference. Like, literally, I think there's, like, planets that rotate around him because it's easier to get around him than a defender is to cover him. If they do that move, unless they do a couple of other moves to go with it and sign people... I mean, the whole lot of, that's a whole lot of money for Gordon, who I don't think is worth that much because uh, I do not think he will do that well in a big club. Is I mean, in championship, that money is not going to get you very far because I do not see them uh, staying in the Premier League when you take away their best player, regardless of like kind of like what you're trying to plug in with. A, you know, you may take the money and convert it into two, three players, hey. but we've seen it with Liverpool, right? Like sell a big guy, get that money and go get, we can get three guys with this money and then like have it like blow up on our face. And I can see with Everton's recent buying history, especially, it's not like they have a great track record. I just don't see them huh. doing that move. I mean, the backlash of the fans probably alone would do it too, but go ahead. Yeah. You're, you're, you're not a fan of the Neil Mope buy? You don't think buying a guy from Brighton that stinks so much they go out every year and buy four more strikers? Again, another guy who's got more cards in the Premier League than he has goals, yet gets treated like a striker. But it's going to be fun. Tell me it won't be fun this weekend, come Saturday, right, when that Marseyside Derby kicks off and Neil Mope is starting through the middle, getting a red card within 15 minutes to start his Everton debut. It'll be absolutely amazing it will be classic everton maneuver and dominic calvert lewin will still be sitting on the sidelines twirling his hair thinking about like gq images and how he can maybe someday play for another club they are literally the worst setup team right now in the premier league in my opinion they have poor talent on the pitch they have poor recruitment strategy off the pitch and they have arguably the least qualified manager in all of the Premier League. I I mean, think, are they, do you says, think they're worse than Bournemouth? Yeah, I was ah. going to say, Bournemouth is like, hold my beer. but <laughs> <laughs> I got you know him what? on Scott Parker. Mateo said, and this will be more Everton really, is they'll drop to the championship and have to sell him for $20 million. So that's be probably fair, more likely to be, fair, to be fair to Scotty Parker, Scotty Parker got a team, brought, a t- brought two different sides up from the championship. Fat Frank got one side to a final they should have won. They blew it when he was at Derby with a two-goal lead in the playoffs. That gets him the Chelsea job, which gets him fired, which gets him the Everton job, which should have got him relegated. To be totally fair, Scott Parker might have done more in his coaching career so far than Fat Frank has, other than the fact that Fat Frank was a much better EPL player. And, and let's be real. And Parker can also rock a cardigan. We I mean, look at that sweater, people. Uh, Michael Martin says, sorry, just tuning in. Yeah, where the heck have you been? Uh, but thanks for joining us. He says, did we announce Pulisic yet? Hell no. Actually, I just read today that he's definitely staying at Chelsea, which means I do not have to fight Pulisic rumors till the next transfer window opens. And so I'll see you guys in January while we fight over is Pulisic good enough for Liverpool and all that kind of good stuff. Well, gentlemen, that's it for this week. We will be talking about, well, the Thursday podcast is back. Like I was saying, those boys will be talking about the Newcastle game. And we get to talk about Fat Frank and Everton next Monday. Thanks a lot, everybody. See you guys next week.